your host, Steve Herzig. Uh, I'm with the Gentile, but I must say, the award-winning Gentile, the man who's the voice of our radio at FOI, Friends of Israel Today, and the one who received an award at the NRB, Chris Award-winning Katolka. Oh, boy. Hello, everybody. The award-winning Bupkis. That's what it is. Oh, this is not Bupkis, my friends. This is Bupkis. This is none other than the award-winning, yours truly, Chris Katolka. Wow. Yeah, that was an award. I went out to Nashville, uh, Bot Radio Network, um, who hosts the Friends of, or who cares. Chris, you got a mug on a plaque. I got a mug on a plaque. It should be my face and Steve Conover's face and Tom Gallione's face for all the hard work that they've put into the radio program that we have. Uh, but they took my they took my mug and put it on a plaque. We a even a have plaque. a recording, don't we? We have a recording. Yeah. So. When I was, uh, can I just tell the story really quick? Please tell the story. It's kind of funny. So a couple weeks ago, Rich Bot, who's the president of Bot Radio Network, gives me a ring and he says, we'd like to give you an award. Are you coming to NRB, to National Religious Broadcasters? I was like, I wasn't planning on coming this year. He goes, we would like to give you an award. I said, I'll come. So I went out for the one day. Did they give you at least free food? I got a free breakfast. Nice. Bada bing, bada boom. Um, but, uh, that morning I, I prepared some words. I had no idea what to expect. Uh, I thought maybe there'd be 30, 40, 50 people at a breakfast for national religious broadcasters. Well, shame on me. There were 800 people. It felt like, um, and, uh, and I came prepared with words and I went up to, uh, Mr. Bot, who was so kind. And I said, what, what should I do? I, I, I didn't get really many instructions. And he says, I'll ask you a few questions. I said, perfect. I love questions. And then when I got up there, he said, here's the mic. Say something. (laughs) (laughs) And we get a recording of what you said, the intro and everything. Play it for us. Yeah, I'll go see if if I can get this tuned up here. Mr. Chris Katolka, the Gentile. Louis Church, fellows. Uh, A.J. Ironside. And Louis Sperry Chafer, the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary. This is Rich Bott. Talking about the founding of, yeah, mm-hmm. founding of Friends of Israel. That receives our Closer Than a Brother Award. Closer Than Friends a Brother. Of Israel. And here's the host of the Friends of Israel Today broadcast and receive the award, Chris Katolka. Listen to the applause. Ay, ay, ay. I just want to thank uh, Rich Bot, thank you, Mr. Bot, and everyone at Bot Radio for supporting the Friends of Israel Today radio program. Can I tell you something? It's not, uh, it's very controversial to be a friend of Israel today. And so when you have a program called the Friends of Israel Today, it says that you're taking a stand. We want to thank you for taking a stand to support Israel and the Jewish people. The Friends of Israel was founded to help the Jewish people in 1938. We literally raised funds among churches to help buy the liberation of Jewish people from the hand of Hitler. And I'll tell you something, our organization still exists today to support Israel and the Jewish people. After October 7th, we raised more than $2.1 million and sent that right over to Israel to help with Magan David Adon, to help with Operation Life Shield, to help Israel and the Jewish people during this very difficult time. So we are very thankful to all of our constituents and supporters. We really believe this. If you have a passion for God's word, and I hope that you do, then you should have compassion for his people. Oh, that's Thanks a good one, much. Chris. Good Thank you, Chris. Bottom here, we get a picture. 
That'll preach. Oh, that's you got to get a picture. That'll preach, he that'll said. That'll preach. That'll you got to get a picture. <laughs> oh, Chris, no, let's not make fun of this at all. What a great award. Uh, and you're right. It. Uh, you're the rep. You're the voice. But there's a lot of behind the scenes that goes on. And what a tribute to Friends of Israel, the ministry, its heritage, its history. And even the seven listeners here at Jew and Gentile Podcast, 100%. we contribute uh, as well. But we're so thankful. This is quite a punum right there. <clears throat> That's a punum. That is a punum. Aye, aye, aye. They so- were offering free headshots <laughs> at the conference. I thought maybe I should get one while I was there. That is a good one. Well, Chris, I'm going to turn it back to you, the host of the podcast. Direct us as well, we go. I think you did a pretty good job. I'm thinking I can take vacation now or something like that. I don't know like about that. that. You are. Uh, well, remember we did uh, the living, no, not the living will, free will. That's right. And we had the competition. That's right. And you won. You won. You are a you liar. Won. You are. You know what? Actually, just just a nice little reminder for our listeners that you can text us at 424-444-1948. Again, that's 424-444-1948. You can text us, uh, say hello. Uh, show us your mug on a mug if you've uh, purchased a mug um, on a mug. Our mug on a mug. A mug oh, on a I mug. I just knocked a little guy over. I know you knocked over. Uh, you, you knocked over a rabbi too. I it's did. a rabbi. Hey. I did. So I did. Uh, mug on a mug. Mug on a mug. And so with the mug on a mug, if you donate, how do they get a mug in a mug? Yeah, you just go to gofoi.org forward slash mug, and there you'll be able to get a mug on a mug. It actually is a donation. So if you give ten dollars. To FOI Equip, which really helps to expand the ministry of the Friends of Israel, to train people and equip people in Jewish ministry. If you donate a minimum of $10, you will get a mug on a mug. That's not bad, 10 bucks for a mug. That's not bad at all. But actually, what we're hoping is that maybe— We want a little bit more, you may- know? Probably just <laughs> for the mug. Then we got to <laughs> ship it and everything. I think we're losing on mug I, on a mug. I think, you know, I'll tell you something. It, people are very generous and kind. Um, but, hey, if you can schmaltz it up a little bit— Why not? Yeah, send out a little bit more money and uh, bada-bing, bada-boom. You'll get a mug right. on a mug. And you'll be supporting the Friends of Israel's uh, FOI Equip Ministry. FOI— uh, equip ministry, which is just absolutely amazing. Um, and speaking of that, Steve, we actually have a really big class coming up. We've got a big maher coming up in March. Do you know this? One of the biggest, a board member, as a matter of fact. That's right. And you might not even know him as a board member. Maybe you know him as somebody else. Mr. Archaeologist himself. That's exactly right. It is Dr. Randall Price. He'll be teaching a class on archaeology. It's called Digging for Truth. And it's all about proving the reliability of the Bible through archaeological finds, which if you're going to ask somebody, is there enough archaeology to show the reliability of the reliability of the Bible, it's Dr. Randall Price. Oh, Dr. Randall Price has a book on the temple that if you paid per pound, aye. Aye, aye, aye. It's the huge. book has six 100 pages. I don't even think there were 600 words about the temple. Have you ever read a book that's 600 pages? I have. I have read a, more than one book of six. Of course, it took me 600 months. <laughs> <laughs> I figure if you do one page a day, bada bing, two uh, years. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but his, his class will be really good. Really well, good. here's what I hear. Are you ready? I hear he has 180 slides. 
Oy. But, but there's only 90 minutes. So we, we, we think, we're, we're going to run him 2.0. 100%. We're going to double time him. Uh, but anyway, you need to come out to that because he is a genius. He's done a lot of work on the Dead Sea Scrolls, on the Qumran community. He actually is our featured writer in Israel My Glory, Dr. Randall Price, on archaeology. And so you need to come out and hear from him. He's just a real blessing. And he also uh, is the CEO and founder of World of the Bible Ministries. And uh, he's just an expert in every Professor, way. Professor. He's taught classes at Liberty and at Dallas. He's he's a man. We're schmoes. We're schmoes compared yep. to him. No problem. Don't Schlemiels. mind it at all. Schlemiels. All right, Steve. So anyway, that's FOI Equip. Go to FOIEquip.org, and there you can find out more information on how you can participate and text us, 424-444-444. 1948. Steve. You know, Chris, uh, just recently I discovered an old series on TV that is you can now get on YouTube hey. absolutely free. It ran two years in the early 90s. It's called Brooklyn Bridge. My wife and I watched it when back in the day. We, so you knew about it already before oh, you found yeah, it. Oh, yeah. We loved it. And then we wanted to find a way to be able to see it. And actually, my son, Sam, found it several years ago and paid $100. It was so nice of him. $100. Somebody taped it from the TV. You're kidding. So they, <laughs> He paid a person 100 bucks. He paid bucks. a person for our <laughs> Christmas gift $100 so that we could have a DVD of it. Well, we have since found that it is free on YouTube, and it's going down memory lane. If any of our listeners want to understand uh, Jewish people my age, uh, even younger, 60s, 70s, 80 years old, uh, this took place right after World War II. It's, Alice and I have enjoyed watching it. We introduced it. To, I was in Texas with a family. Uh, and introduce them to it because he grew up in Queens and we watched about six episodes with him and oh with the Yiddish and the drugstore where you got two cents plain <laughs> and the uh, cream uh, the soda creams that you got egg creams uh, you got and uh, how Jewish people interacted with the Catholic community it it's just amazing so I went to the newish. Jewish Encyclopedia, and they have a whole page on Brooklyn. Oh, fantastic. And the incredible people that came out of Brooklyn, specifically post-war Brooklyn, which is when the Brooklyn Bridge, by the way, go on YouTube, Brooklyn Bridge TV series, something like that. You'll be able to find it. Thirty-three, I think there's 33 uh, um, episodes, and you can watch it free. But it says here... In the post-war years, Brooklyn became a cultural mecca, giving birth to something like half of all people who would shape the second half of the 20th century. Woody Allen, Barbara Streisand, Jay-Z, Henry Miller, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Joseph Heller, the Beastie Boys, Maurice Sandek, all from Brooklyn, and most likely, so is your Uncle Stu. <laughs> Never once did I ever think you would announce Beastie Boys on the Jew and Gentile I'm podcast. I'm just reading from just, the newest right. Jewish encyclopedia, the most populous of New York City's boroughs. It runs in the north 
from the physical limits of Greenpoint to the spiritual heights of the Brooklyn Bridge to, at its southern tip, the Atlantic Currents and Russian Grandmas of Brighton Beach. And so it talks about that. But after Brooklyn, speaking of Brooklyn, in the bees, we're still in the bees in the newish Jewish encyclopedia, I found Bugs Bunny. <laughs> He's here. Yeah. Chris, there's even a picture of him. <laughs> I see and it. what does it say about Bugs Bunny? Those people who've watched it, he was voiced by Mel Blanc, nice Jewish boy. Oh, yeah. And believed to be inspired by Groucho Marx. That's amazing. You know, when you with his uh, carrot in that's, his hand. That's right. Exactly. And the, uh, the Marx brothers were amazing comedians right out of Hollywood, California. Yep. Uh, so by uh, inspired by Marcho, uh, Groucho Marx, he speaks with a heavy New York accent. And I never thought of that, <laughs> but he does. He speaks with a New York accent. He's got the cigar, uh, the, you know, his, carrot. His worst enemies are Elmer Fudd and Yosemite Sam, two murderous goyim with guns. <laughs> this is one kosher rabbit. That is amazing. There it is in the newish Jewish encyclopedia. Has, um, you know, I don't know. You keep rocking that rabbi over. I, what can I tell you? Can I, I want to go to um, Brooklyn really quick for two things. Number one, has Brooklyn, has it become more Jewish or has it become less Jewish? Because you used to do ministry in Atlantic City, and that was a very Jewish area to do ministry, and now it's really not a hot Well, spot. since gambling came, it's become much more of a hodgepodge, but it was uh, throughout the, the 50s, 60s, people retired from Jewish people from Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York. They came to Atlantic City, moderate climate, uh, relatively inexpensive to live there, uh, right on the beach. <clears throat> in fact, my first time that I arrived there was in the year 1977, uh, right near the end of this period of time. And Chris, you could sit down next on the—they uh, had uh, uh, chairs, uh, park benches, and some gazebos along the way. You could sit uh, next to a Jewish person, male or female. They were—most of them all were retired and old, and you only had to ask one question, just one. So, how you doing? <laughs> I didn't say, is anything okay? I was going to say, is anything but okay? But you didn't have to. How are you doing? Oh, who are you? Uh, well, I'm, I I live here. I'm uh, on the boardwalk. I just walking around and talking to people. Uh, why? And so I, t I tell them, and then I say, "Well, how are you doing? How long have you been here? You really want to know? You should know." And then they'll tell you stuff you don't want to know. Mm. Their families don't see them. They hurt. I got pain here and I got pain there. And now I have no money and my kids did this to me. <laughs> and it went on and on. But Chris, it was a great ministry. We were able to be friends to folks, to be a listening ear. And when opportunity came, which is still what we do as an organization, the Friends of Israel, we would share with them, mm -hmm. share with them how God transformed our life uh, through the person and work of the Messiah, and get in great discussions. So, yes, uh, but Brooklyn is— so Atlantic a, City has changed, but has Brooklyn changed? Brooklyn has from is this, beginning from to the change. Way it, it, it is. It has changed. It's still very Jewish. The, uh, the, the famous Hasidic uh, temple synagogue, Shul, is there, the Hasidic 770. It's called by its address. Um, number of Russian Jews are there. 
Uh, and if you look, uh, of course, I took the B out. If you look, uh, uh, where's my B? Oh, boy, this never. This, this is this never is disastrous. Good. This is never when Steve good. has to ad lib on a page. Uh, it's never ad-lib. good. Oh, look, oh, there it is. Look, look at read the map there. Bada and bing. you could tell them. Okay, so you got to the uh, Chabad, uh, the Chabad Lubav- House, yep. Lubavitch World S- Headquarters. That's yep. Crown Heights. Yep. Then you got Coney Island Boardwalk. Coney Island. I, look, I didn't grow up in New York, but anybody who's around my age has talks to talk to people from New York, especially around my age. Nathan's Hot Dogs. They still have the hot dog uh, uh, runoff of how many hot oh, dogs you right. can eat yeah. in. Uh, like 70 or 80s, like a... Uh, a guy eats 80 hot dogs. <laughs> in uh, one minute or something uh, crazy. A skinny 130-pound Asian guy hey. eat, eats, including buns, 80 <laughs> hot dogs in 10 minutes. It's Who so could cr- do... The sodium alone, alone would knock you out. I don't even know where you, pa- you, pa- you pack all that stuff in your little body. But that how about, goes on at Coney Island. How about Mile End Deli? I've That's, never been to that one. I always go to uh, Katz's Deli, Katz's, which is the, in Manhattan. Ebbets Field. Ebbets Field. Oh, yeah. The the Brooklyn Dodgers who moved in 19, I think it was 1959. But Ebbets Field was the place. Uh, and in that Jackie uh, Robinson Jackie, broke yep. baseball's color bar- barrier at Ebbets Field in 1947. The team went on to beat the Yankees and win the World Series in 1955. 19- Nailed it. Nailed That's it. That's big. Yeah, that is that is really big. They moved Barbara to Streisand. Right out of Brooklyn. Woody Allen. Uh, like you said, you read some of these names already. But I guess, uh, is it the same vibe? It's not the... It, look, everything loses its charm a little bit as time goes by but brooklyn is still brooklyn as a as a borough would be in the top five or six cities in america yeah 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 it's uh it's nearly three million people by itself mm-hmm. uh new york city all five boroughs 10 percent are jewish uh there's a it's it's an amazing place new york city itself but we think we tend to. I think New Yorkers think in boroughs. Which borough are you from? Yeah. Uh, but the conglomerate of the five boroughs comprise New York City. Brooklyn is the largest one. Uh, so uh, this is just a great little segue too. That not only can people support FOI Equip, but a part of FOI Equip, the big umbrella of FOI Equip, is Encounter, where you can actually, if you uh, want to learn more about the Jewish culture. You can go with Friends of Israel to Brooklyn, to Brooklyn and do a Jewish walking tour. It's amazing. An amazing. In fact, uh, we've befriended, I know you have, and uh, Bruce Scott and Cameron Joyner, who head up uh, our encounter group. We take three of them every year, mm-hmm. and we head up there. They love us. We br- You brought some Hanukkah boxes I brought their up kids. to Brooklyn. I brought their family and kids Hanukkah boxes, and they bring me in, and they teach my kids how and to play. And they give you some food. Dreidel, and- it's fantastic. But at the point, though, is that if you're listening and you're going, I just wish I knew more about the Jewish culture and customs. You know, you can go to Brooklyn with us. You can go to Philadelphia with us and do a, 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 a conservative Sephardic, um, or no, an Orthodox Sephardic, uh, a synagogue, synagogue service. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do some volunteer work in the Jewish community of South Jersey, which is a big Jewish community as well. And so if you're interested in wanting to learn more about how you can get connected uh, to the Jewish people and to learn more about their culture and customs, you can join us on one of our encounter programs. It's a long weekend. It's, it's a long really, yeah. what, what it involves, it, it involves a, a, a little bit of cash, 
uh, enough for the hotel you'll stay in and the food you'll eat. And you got to pay to get there, depending on how far you live from our home international office. But the experience is one of a lifetime. You know, we have um, encounters in Israel. We're going to be having an encounter in Poland. Uh, and we're, a team is leaving, I believe, at the end of April. That's right. Yep. But the, but this is an encounter in the <coughs> eastern part of the United States, Jewish people. Hey, uh, can I tell you what one person said, which I think sums it up perfectly? They said, you know, I did a tour to Israel. This is somebody who went on an encounter. I did a tour to Israel. I loved everything about it. But there was just one thing missing, and I didn't know what it was. And then I went on encounter. And I found it was the missing piece. Encounter was the missing piece. This is what she said, was the missing piece to my trip to Israel. Because when you go on a trip to Israel, it's all it's amazing. But you, you're on a bus, you're off a bus. You get on the bus, you go to a biblical site. You don't really feel like you're in Israel. You're not, you're not really rubbing shoulders with the Jewish people. But when you come on Encounter... That's when you meet the Jewish people. You meet them. You shake their hands. You hear their stories. And you hear the different uh, variations of the spectrum of religious Judaism, um, the Jewish people, what they believe. You hear everything. And so she said, it was my missing piece. This is what built in that section of understanding Jewish culture and customs. So now I got the biblical land, and I got the people, and she felt like she got 100% of the picture. Hey, if you're a person who's never been to New York City, you know, we live on the East Coast, Chris— we have opportunity to go. You take your family for a bike ride in Central Park. 100%. It's a, a nice day. You leave early in the morning, you go bike riding, and you come home. But there's actually some people who might be listening who've never been to New York. What a way to get your first experience in New York City <laughs> in Encounter. 100%. So, again, you can go to foi.org forward slash Encounter if you're interested. Steve. We're talking about the gospel. Ay, ay, ay. The gospel. Well, we are going through Menno Kalischer's book, Jesus in the Hebrew Scriptures. And Chris, they could get a copy by going to foi.org and going on our website. That's our main website. Uh, and they can go to the store and get Jesus in the Hebrew Scriptures. Menno wrote this book to Israelis, written in Hebrew originally, but translated into English, and we this is a this book has really helped numerous people in understanding and being able to see Jesus in the Hebrew Scripture. Chris, for me, uh, that's how I came to know Jesus as my Messiah. I didn't have Menno's book. What I did have was my own Masoretic text and someone to point me to the prophecies that pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. Mm -hmm. What Menno does is go in very high detail uh, and directs people through the book. And we are at the point, in, in as, we, as we're going through it, to go to Psalm 2, the anointed of the Lord. This is where we talked about El Shaddai last time we met. This is going to talk about having the Son of God in the Old Testament. Chris, I didn't even know back back in the day as a 22-year-old Jewish person, bar mitzvah confirmed in shul, uh, celebrating all the feasts, the Son of God in the Old Testament, I would have said it's not in here. Well, you know, uh, I don't know if I ever told this story before, so stop me if I did, but when I lived in Dallas, I got to know this, um, this gentleman who actually was in the Israeli army, and he kind of made a name for himself in Dallas for knowing about the events that are going on in Israel. And so we became good friends, and one day I went to his office, and 
he, you know, he felt comfortable saying to me, Hey, Chris, I can ruin your faith in a sentence. And I, I thought <laughs> that's nice. You know, he said, do you want me to? And I said, go ahead. You know, I, I'm pretty confident in my faith. He said, it was nowhere in the Bible, in the in the Torah or the Tanakh, does it say that God was intended to have a son? And I thought, oh, that's so interesting. Uh, uh, that, so that's I'm it. Sorry, I'm going to have to ruin your faith. I know. I, I, I sat there. I said, that's it. And he goes, that's it. I <laughs> that's said, your best shot. I said, well, that's you know, nothing. That's bupkis. And so I said, you know, there's this great promise that God made to King David in Second Samuel chapter seven, where it says to him, and I so I pull out my Bible on my phone and I say. Look, it says, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. And he goes, oh, that's that's in the English. That's not in the Hebrew. I said, ah, I got the Hebrew Bible on my phone. And he goes, no, 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 we're, we're done, we're done. He <laughs> shut it down. But no, the, the concept of the Son of God is rooted in the Old Testament. It's actually a very—I think it's a lot of times, Steve, when we talk about the Son of God, we think about it in terms of um, divinity, uh, do you know what I mean? Like, Jesus was born fully human, and then he's also a son of God. But really, that title, yes, it is divine, but at the same time, that title is very Davidic. It's divine, and it's very Davidic. And that's what we're going to see here as we study this concept of the son. Why don't you read part of the text here, Chris? Yep. Uh, this comes from Psalm chapter 2, and just really important to note that Psalms chapter 1 and Psalms chapter 2 are really the bedrock for the entire book of Psalms. And this is coming from the award-winning... Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're the, bad. The, the guy who, wait, I gotta be reminded, closer than a brother. So Chris Katolka's reading Psalm 2... Oy, and, me. <laughs> and just know he's closer than a brother. Oy, the one, the only, award-winning Chris Katolka, and it it makes me kvell, Chris. Uh, thank you very I much. I kvell. Tell them what kvell means. It means that he's uh, uh, speaking proudly, That's very right. proudly. That's right. So with gusto, That's right. the Son of God, Psalm 2, uh, our one, our only Chris Katolka. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and, ter and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them into pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate uh, celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your ways will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Menno says, he's going to give some definitions in the book. I think this is real helpful. And he says, anointed, parentheses, Messiah, Mashiach. Mashiach, yeah. Christos, Christ. A title given to a king or a priest who was anointed with the holy oil. The title of the hoped-for Redeemer of Israel. Messiah King, the title given by Jewish scholars to the hoped-for Redeemer, Messiah, Son of David, who will fully redeem Israel in the end times. That's great. It's great. That, that is a great passage, uh, and 
it's interesting that he asks, why do the nations rage and what is God doing in heaven? I think this is practical for us today. We're still in the midst of two wars, Chris. Sometimes we forget. We shouldn't forget at all. Ukraine and Russia, it's not going well for Ukraine right now. We pray for them. We have staff there. Mm. And then, of course, Gaza and Hamas with the threat up north of Hezbollah. And so we have the nations raging. That's stuff going on right now. And what's God doing? Laughing. He's laughing. Mm -hmm. Why does he laugh? Because he's looking down at us pitiful people, and he he just shakes his head. Now, what's amazing about this psalm, too, is that it's an enthronement psalm. Actually, the psalms are an amazing thing because— these psalms were written from the heart of David, per se. It was David. It was uh, him like a songwriter pouring out his heart to the Lord. But what happened is those songs become part of the liturgy, if you will, of the Israelites. It becomes part of their national anthems. It becomes part of who they are as a, as a people group. So it starts with the heart of David or the psalmist, and then it moves to a bigger, as the, as the psalms take on more meaning— they, they become more important, and this is actually an enthronement psalm. So when a, when a king of Israel or a king of Judah would become the king, they would sing these songs, and eventually it's leading its way to the ultimate king, who would be the one who all of the nations would come to worship, who is the Davidic king, King, De, uh, king Jesus. And so uh, this is important because... Just, you know, we watched the—did uh, you watch at all um, when uh, King Charles became uh, the king? Oh, yeah, I saw a little of it. There's an enthronement process. Big time. It, you know, and it's—they're it's, following a, a, a history that goes back hundreds of years, centuries. And I think that's what the people in England love the most, the tradition of, you know, the, 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 the royal family. There's an enthronement, and it matters. You know, there's the priest and the Bibles there and the sword and all these symbols and— this is the same thing that they would be singing as the kings were being enthroned, but ultimately looking forward to the one king, the Messiah, the Mashiach, the anointed one, um, who would be the one that would really put the nations in their place for the way they treated Israel and the Jewish people and treated the Lord ultimately. Well, Menno says here, uh, these verses show that the relationship between the Lord, or Jehovah, Yahweh, and the Messiah— king of all the earth, is that of a father and a son. 100%. Amazing. It's amazing. Chris, these verses, uh, I wish you would have gotten a chance for that uh, guy who was going to destroy your faith. I wish he would have let you talk a little further, because in Psalm 2, one of the very important passages I read, it already shatters the idea of, yes, we believe in one God, but the one God, as far as his essence is different in the Old Testament than it actually is in the Jewish modern Jewish mind today. Yeah. There is a oneness to God. You got to figure it out as you read. And it shattered, I know for me, the idea of all these various prophecies, this one included, then you go to Proverbs, of course you read Isaiah 53, all of them, and you realize, wait a minute, I believe in the God of Israel, but the God of Israel is not in the package that I have been led to believe all this time. The Bible shattered my traditional Jewish thinking. And by the way, it takes a while to kind of process that. 100%. It's a process. Well, you know, um, the other day I was doing an interview on Crosstalk with Jim Schneider on the VCY Network, 
Um, and uh, at the very end, he throws it open to questions. And this is a Christian network with several, I think, 50, 60, 70 stations or something like that all around the country. He's got one in New York City. He's got a— Nice. So at the end, when they were taking—we talked about what was going on in Israel. It was an hour-long conversation. Uh, He had a caller call in from New York City, a Jewish guy who likes to listen to the Christian station just because it's spiritual, he said. And he said, I agree with everything that you had to to say about Israel, but I'm not a Christian. I'm Jewish. And on the air, I said, do me a favor. Just do me a favor. He goes, what? I said, read Isaiah 53. Read it. And so it will shatter your Jewish, traditional Jewish thinking. Biblical Jewish thinking is Isaiah 53, Psalm 2, Isaiah 9, 6. But traditional Jewish thinking is different. Yeah, and so he says, I'll consult my rabbis about it, which is fine. But then I get another email, and this is talking about what you're saying about understanding God in the triune kind of uh, con- concept. Um, he, he, This guy emails, he says, I loved everything you had to say, but why did you tell him to read Isaiah 53? And I said, because that's where Jesus is seen. You can see Jesus in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And he went into this whole thing. Uh, I had to leave did the email. Did he say it's Israel? He says it's Israel. Oh, okay, that, uh, that's modern Jewish thinking, which goes against—my wife's a proofreader. I don't know a pronoun from an adjective, from an adverb, but I can tell you, if you substitute the word Israel into Isaiah 53, it makes no sense. It makes no sense, it exactly. It makes the people of Israel, in context of what Isaiah is saying, it has to be a person, mm-hmm. a personal pronoun— and that it's we will dance around Chris. We're good at dancing. Uh, boy, put the hora. We're good at bar mitzvahs. We can we can dance around it. But if you confront it head on, you it shake it shakes the very foundation of your of your life. Yeah, that's why I, I started off by talking about the Brooklyn Bridge TV series. It only lasted two years. I looked it up online. Uh, and it has a cult following. I'm part of You're that. the part of the cult. I am part of that cult <laughs> because it brings such warm fa- warm feelings about your family and about celebrating holidays. The rich the, the rich richness of it. That that writer David Goldberg wrote it. He's he's deceased now, but he wrote about it was his life. Mm. It was all about his life, but it's classic any Jewish person who lived around that period of time with the Yiddish, the first, uh, the the um, people who came from the boat, first generation born and second generation. I'm second generation American. Uh, first generation were my parents and then grandparents. That's when this takes place. And I'm telling you, anything related to, to the Holocaust or anything related to the shiksas and the shagets, the mm. g- Gentile girls, Gentile boys, getting dating, a shiksa, it's it it just tears up a family. Yes, and the idea of believing in Jesus is just too much. And yet, the strange thing is, as Menno, Jewish guy, Israel uh, uh, from Israel, um, it it's Jewish. It's Jewish. The yep. Bible is Jewish, but it's been stolen away. At least in in. So many uh, areas stolen away because it's been Gentilized. That's right. Part of what you and I do with Friends of Israel is to bring the Jewishness 
back into the text. And if people will just read the simple text, they'll see the Jewishness of the Bible. Can I add one more thing, too, about Psalm 2, which I always, it makes me chuckle when I think about the faithfulness of God. It's a bit of hubris in Psalm 2, because here's this king that's in charge of a very tiny, tiny country called Israel. You know, it wasn't a big country. Let's, Let's just even say this psalm could have been written when Solomon came to the throne. Solomon expanded it a little bit, but when you compare it to the empires of the world like Greece and Persia and Babylon and Assyria, it's bupkis. It's nothing. It's tiny. It's the size of New Jersey. It's nothing. There's this hubris that makes me laugh to think that here is the psalmist writing, you know, in, in, in understanding the king of Israel from a global perspective. Like this king of this tiny little country is going to rule over all the nations. And you kings, you kings out there who probably have kingdoms bigger than Israel, you better kiss the sun because his God's wrath will come if you don't. I just, the thing I love about it is how God takes really the nothingness of Israel. He says that there's nothing special about it in Deuteronomy. It's the fact that God's going to work through the tininess of Israel. God's going to work through the, 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 uh, the fact that they're irrelevant or whatever you want to call it. You know, it's the fact that they aren't the big, strong nation. They're the tiny nation. But through that tiny nation, God is going to bless all the nations, and all the nations should turn to the Son, the Son of God, and kiss the Son. Well, in fact, in verse 7, it says, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. And Menno asked the question, what is the meaning of these words? The Lord hereby notes his closeness to his anointed and describes the relationship between them, father and son. The Lord identifies the Messiah, king over all the earth, as his son in order to teach us the unity of purpose which exists in God. The Lord refers to the Messiah as a son he has begotten. This is a clue to the manner in which the Messiah would come into the world. Prophecies such as Genesis 3, Micah 5, Isaiah 7, and 9 show that Messiah would be born supernaturally through a virgin. The words of the Lord in Psalm 2 help us identify the true Messiah. And finally, today I have begotten you, these words foreshadow the resurrection of the Messiah mm. from the dead. Mm. The, this is just one page from our Israeli friend, yours and mine, Menno Kalisher, <laughs> taking the text, the Jewish text, and, and driving home the Jewishness, the right thinking that we're to have concerning Jesus the Messiah. I'm glad we did Psalm 2. It was good. I love Psalm 2. We thank you, Menno. And by tell them again, tell our folks, all seven of them, how they can get this book. Well, they can just simply go to the website that we have in our show notes. And our, our show, show notes. notes. That's exactly right. In fact, let me dig up the actual. It's a, Well, I have the link in there. It's Jesus in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's at our Friends of Israel store, which I have the link for in our show notes, and so uh, you could go there and do it that way. Hey, Steve, I had dug up um, a uh, text message that I got through our text line, 424-444-1948, with a question from our good friend Josh. Hey, anybody can give us a question, can't they? Anybody can give us a question, and so I got this question from Josh the other day. He said, good afternoon, gents. I stu- <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been called a gent before? Uh, not a gent. Uh, a shlemiel, but yeah, not a gent. Shlemiel, but not a gent. Thank you. Josh. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate that. He is so nice. Uh, I stumbled across the concept of righteous Gentiles on Chabad.org. 
on the surface. Wait, you, wait a minute. I stumble while I was on Chabad.org? <laughs> How do you stumble on Chabad? Yeah, That's that, great. So he intentionally. I'm just kind of browsing. Yeah. And oh, look, here's Chabad. <laughs> What is Chabad? No, Chabad is the, the Orthodox. The ultra-Orthodox. <laughs> That's right. They have a website. <laughs> hey, I was just moseying around, and I see I'm on Chabad. That's right. <laughs> You're so funny. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> stumbled onto Chabad? Good. F- and we're gents. <laughs> I know. We're gents, and he stumbled into Chabad. Josh, we love you. On the surface, it sounds like a reasonable goal guidance as an evangelical Christian, uh, this concept of a righteous Gentile. Are, are there aspects that I should be cautious of uh, with this term, righteous Gentile? He writes, the non-Jews that chose to follow the seven laws of Noah are regarded as righteous Gentiles, and so uh, or pious people of the world, hasadei umot ha'olam. So, in- interesting concept, uh, and I guess his question is, it sounds like it's biblical to fo- do, follow the Noahic um, laws— the non-Jews that chose to follow the seven laws of Noah are regarded as righteous Gentiles. What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, righteous Gentiles, when we go to Israel, we go to the Holocaust Museum and are immediately introduced when we get a guide or when our guide leads us. We find trees planted uh, in honor of righteous Gentiles who saved Jewish lives during the Holocaust, and they're regarded as righteous Gentiles. And Rightfully so. They did a righteous act, preserving, saving a life. Anything you could do to save a life would be a righteous act. The problem is to be labeled a righteous Gentile could only be given really by God himself. That's right. And in order to be righteous, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, you can't do it on your own. So while we have no problem, I don't know anybody, friends of Israel, who would dispute in any way, shape, or form, uh, Gentiles who saved Jewish lives during the Holocaust as righteous Gentiles, that would be uh, person to person here on the earth. But in a spiritual sense, there's no one who is righteous, as Paul writes, no, not one. So no seven Noahic laws, because nobody could keep the law, whether that's uh, the Ten Commandments and the other 603 laws that there are, or whether that's the seven Noahic laws, we can never stand before a righteous God and be completely holy in our own strength Mm. because we're sinners. Mm. So I respect the term and admire that as he was kind of flying through the internet and stumbled on (laughs) Chabad.org, which is great, a great way to learn about what uh, what very orthodox, observant Jewish people believe, you'll see, but it's all centered on works. Yeah, and you'll see similarities in uh, the messianic hope that you know. There's that some of those concepts that you'll go, oh yeah, I believe we, the kingdom is coming. We would agree coming. on yep. certain things, absolutely. But again, it's devoid of the righteousness we, that can only we, come through Christ. We got to tell Josh to stumble on foi.org <laughs> or foiequip.org. Stumble on our website. Oh, he does stumble over there, and he also has our mug on his coffee oh, rack. He's mug. got our mug. <laughs> in a mug. Good for him. Good for him. All right, Josh, I hope that helps answer your question a little bit. If not, you can clarify a little bit more and stumble your yeah, way over and, to... And Josh, we love you. I just think you got to be... Gr- when you stumble... I couldn't stumble on a He's a righteous Gentile. He is an amazing guy. And Chris, you're going to go to a, a video that we're going to see. And it really caught my eye uh, because t- 11 years ago, Chris, I wrote a couple of articles... Uh, One was titled, 
molding the next generation of anti-Semites, and the other was on Ariel and Israel advocacy. They're actually came from the same writing, but they uh, when you go on our digital uh, IMG, uh, you could you could be on one and access the other with a click. And essentially what it is, back then, I met Ariel, uh, who was going to uh, native Californian, I was going to Berkeley, and his first orientation, he was going to orientation with his parents, his parents had gone to Berkeley. They were both, his family was very liberal-minded. His desire was to go to Berkeley. And they encountered back then, this is uh, 11 years ago, uh, anti-Semitism. And I wrote about it in the magazine uh, then and talked about how awful on college campuses 11 years ago, uh, this horrible anti-Semitism was coming from uh, from. The, the group, uh, uh, what's it, the Jerusalem, uh, Justice Jer- for Palestine. Justice for Palestine. And here's the things that, this is 11 years ago, and his father was being yelled at. Israel fascist, Israel racist, free Palestine, Holocaust in Palestine. This is 11 years ago. And I was on Fox, and there was a video, uh, because once again, and it really hasn't ceased, it's been going on even longer than 11 years, but... Uh, anti-Semitism in Berkeley. And there was a whole story. You're going to put it in the show notes, but we're going to play a segment of it where a young gal went to a private, you needed a ticket to access a Jewish event and was met by all kinds of vicious uh, protesters. And here's what, this is near the end of the video. Here's what she said. Stop hosting events. We'll continue hosting events. I hope that this does not discourage any Jewish student from being open about their support for Israel. That is their goal. Their goal was to shame us and make us want to hide. But this is not Nazi Germany. This is not 1939. We're not hiding anymore. We're not running away. We're not going to be wearing striped pajamas and walking to our I love graves. That line. We're going to be proud about our support for Israel more than ever. Isn't that a, that's near the end. I hope you'll uh, watch the full video because it shows on video their police protecting them in a building that they were trying to break the glass down and they were protecting them. But it's from my point of view, I said, wait a minute, this this is Berkeley. I wrote about that, interviewed Ariel himself, who liberal, loved being liberal, but came to the conclusion that being liberal uh, and this kind of anti-Israel don't go together. No. And he was having a hard time 11 years ago. He started an advocacy group back then at Berkeley. And, so, and today we have a colleague at Friends of Israel, um, Keegan Milston, who goes onto college campuses and shows support for Israel and the Jewish people, but at the same time shares the gospel. It's amazing. Somehow he's able to so simply weave the message of supporting Israel and the Jewish people right into the gospel. So anybody who comes up you know, gets two things. They get to hear about why Israel matters today, and then also the J- Jesus who matters today in their life as well, and the hope that they can have in Jesus. But he has to wear body cam cameras. He does. It, he, it's an amazing... He's smart. He's very wise. We talked about that. He wears his body cam, and they know it. One of the purposes is 
to tone them down, knowing that they're being videoed, it's going to make them less likely to do something violent. And the, I think he said that they that he's heard them say to him, kill all the Jews or yes. something like that. Oh, yeah. So he always so he says, you know, I get an opportunity to minister to Muslims, to to nominal atheists, Marxists, atheist. communists, all the college campuses. And this is are on our crazy. college campuses. Aye, aye, aye. All right. So anyway, Keegan, amazing, amazing guy. I want to get that footage. We can air it. You know, oh. we might have to use the beep button. Beep, beep. <laughs> to beep out all the I'm bad sure words. I'm sure we will. All right, everybody. Here's what's going on in the news. Uh, this comes from February 28th out of uh, the Jerusalem Post. Uh, Israel, the United States, and Jordan among countries to airdrop aid to Gaza. A group of six countries, including Israel has uh, worked to airdrop humanitarian aid, such as food, medical equipment, and various points across southern Gaza. That's where Jaffa, uh, Jaffa Rafa is, um, where Israel is uh, really going to probably end the war in Rafa, um, which is on the southern end on the border of Egypt. But as a part of the joint coordination effort, Israel, Jordan, Egypt, France, United Arab Emirates, and United States airdropped various supplies to Gazan residents. The coordinated effort by these by these states saw supplies such as food, medical equipment, airdrop to residents of southern Gaza and the Jordanian field hospital on Tuesday. Steve, this is important because what you're hearing out of mainstream media is that Israel is preventing uh, a, a blockade of humanitarian aid from going in. That uh, it's almost as if there's going to be no humanitarian aid. If there is no ceasefire. And so that's the mentality that the mainstream media and even the Biden administration is pushing, which is we need a humanitarian ceasefire so that there can be aid brought in. Well, I've been reading from sources that aid has been coming in all along this whole time. So, you know, it's one of those. And it's being hijacked by Hamas. A hundred percent. And even Netanyahu. And we have hostages. They're talking about the you. This war could end if they get the hostages back. That's if they give them back, they'll have a ceasefire, guaranteed, guaranteed. It's not gonna. Ha it's not gonna happen though. That's, That's right. What, somebody asked me, do you, do you think the a ceasefire hap a ceasefire will happen, or that the hostages will be returned? And I said, I just don't see that happening anytime soon. I don't think Hamas is willing to. I don't think Hamas Hamas's expectations are un. Tenable, I think. I I think they're going to ask for so many Palestinian terrorists back in relationship to the hostages that they have. I mean, think about it. They gave back a thousand Palestinian terrorists for Gilead Shalit, one man. They can't and do that. Some of those people they gave back were ones who murdered Israel. A hundred percent. They they rearm, they regroup, and they go. I mean, they're not going to change their minds and their attitudes towards Israel. And, and who's people. protecting the leaders of Hamas? The hostages. They're, they've got them in. They at least that's what the intelligence is saying to the public <clears throat> that they're in the tunnels with the hostages surrounding them because th they at least believe that Israel knows where they are. They're just trying to find a way to get them. Uh, but it's 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 difficult. Well, I even heard Netanyahu saying that in his post-war plan for Gaza. Uh, they need some type of security apparatus in Gaza. They can't just go, okay, sayonara, we're out of here. That will just help Hamas rebuild, uh, which, of course, it, it creates consternation for the United Nations and the United States, which wants Israel to have no part in Gaza. They want them out of there right away. But even Netanyahu said one of the objectives is to make sure that when humanitarian aid comes in, it gets to the people it needs to go to, not to Hamas leadership. To turn them into tunnels. Exactly. Buy cement, turn them into tunnels. Exactly. It's terrible. Well, 
Chris, this is a good one. I, I mean, they're all good uh, news items. You found them. Yeah, I guess so. So, <laughs> But this comes from PBS. And Chris, you know, I wonder, I'm going to read this about the medical students. This involves medical students. And I wonder how many medical students at this institution in New York don't like Jewish people. Oh, it, that's a good point. I wonder how many don't, because here's the headline. This is amazing. One Billion, not million, billion with a B. Donation eliminates tuition. Let me say that again. This is not Joe Biden eliminating tuition or paying back of loans. This is one billion donation eliminates tuition at New York Medical School, changing student lives. And the first student they talk about is not Jewish. Nope. This is given by a Jewish person, Ruth Guttesman, a former professor at Albert Einstein College of Medicine and the widow of Wall Street investor, uh, donated $1 billion to the school in the Bronx. But the student they talked to first is Samuel Wu. <laughs> now, I don't think he's Jewish. I, I, you never know. I, you never know, but I, I'll go out on a limb and just say uh, he's not. But who had been considering a career in cardiology so he'd be able to pay off his medical school debt until the announcement this week, a generous donation that removes tuition fees at his New York City school. Can you imagine that? Could you, you know who my attention goes to? Could you imagine being the Tom Gagan of of the Albert Einstein? Well, you got to tell him who Tom Gagan well, is. Tom, if you're a first-time listener, uh, Tom Gagan is our advancement uh, vice president here at Friends of Israel. So he, oh, he's, he's he raises the one funds. That, he raises funds. He appreciates our donors and... Uh, just has a, a just a wonderful relationship with so many of the generous donors we have at FOI, and so he knows uh, he's just an amazing man. And so uh, I, I'm just imagine you know the advancement fundraising guy at this school or girl, you know, phone call comes in from Mrs. Uh, what's her name, Godisman. Uh, hi, so and so. I know we've been friends for a long time. I'd like to make a donation to your school. Okay, one billion dollars. <laughs> what? What? Is this a joke? What? So anyway, that's where my mind went to. Could you imagine Tom getting a phone call? I can't even imagine. And this is uh, both students express hope of the Gottesman general gift would open doors for more low income students from immigrant families who could not otherwise have afforded to pursue a career in medicine. This can change. This this will change lives. No tuition. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love to see. How many, if any, I, I don't know. I, mean, I hope there's not one anti-Semite in the school who's a student or who's anti-Israel. But I wonder if there are any and how they feel about a Jewish woman. What do you think about me now? <laughs> Give, what do you think about $1 billion? Right. Amazing. That is amazing. Oh, man. Okay, so uh, that's from PBS, too, yep, by the way. From PBS. All right, Steve. Uh, last one here comes from our friend. All I, I, Israel News. I saw him the other day in in Nashville. Who is him? Joel, Joel Rosenberg. Rosenberg. That's right. I ran into Joel for a, oh, a second. Oh, you and, you and the guy, uh, J- Josh, going uh, to Chabad. That's <laughs> 
<laughs> stumbled upon you. He stumbled on Chabad and you ran into Joel. I might have purposely run into Joel. <laughs> and I was just walking through. Boom. That's right. Oh, there's Joel. There's Joel. Hey, Joel. Uh, but um, that, Joel, um, amazing ministry. And one of them is all Israel news here. But uh, this he has a, a report that says Iran greenlights Hezbollah for large scale attack on Israel in case of Rafa operations in Gaza. Hezbollah fears that Rafa, southern Lebanon, will be next Israeli, that after Rafa, southern Les- Lebanon will be next Israeli target. It should be the next Israeli target. Oh, I, you they know, should be there now. I'm going to tell you this. It's interesting. It, uh, the thing that you could say about Israel, Steve, is they've tried everything when it comes to war. In, in the in the 75 years that Israel's been around, they have tried everything when it comes to war. They have tried, um, they've been uh, the... the uh, attacked, uh, sneak attacked, like on the Yom Kippur War. And they, they were s- proactive. They were proactive during the Six-Day War uh, and, and seeing what was going on um, by striking first. They've done it all. They, they waited and waited knowing they were going to be attacked and lost one of the—won the war, but had one of—since October 7th, one of the worst uh, and most— uh, costly war, the Yom Kippur War, Ex- where they waited for them to come in. They've had wars like the Le- the the, the uh, Lebanese War. They've had uh, uh, wars that were taking place even internally between Israel and the Palestinians. I mean, the intifadas, they, all kinds. They've of stuff. seen terrorism. They've seen war against each, all of it. And so, what's amazing to me is that Hezbollah should be worried because I don't think Israel's going to wait around any longer. You can't sit there and pretend like nothing's going to happen when there's more than 100,000 rockets on the border of northern Israel and Lebanon with Hezbollah with their finger on the trigger. 80,000 people brought to the south. Chris, that would Israelis. be— Israelis. Yes. Th- Chris, that would be like uh, people in Philadelphia crossing the river to come into New Jersey until things calm down in Philadelphia and to live in the hotels in Jersey yep. for— uh, what, 140 days so far because of the imminent ret- attack that can happen from Hezbollah in Lebanon. Exactly. And so, no, this is—they should be—so Iran greenlights Hezbollah for large-scale attack on Israel in case of Rafah ops in Gaza. Uh, the Iranian regime has given Hezbollah the go-ahead to launch a large-scale attack, according to all Israel news, within certain parameters, fearing that Israel plans to attack Lebanon in the near future, the Arabic Post reported— on Wednesday. Chris, Israel doesn't want to attack Lebanon. They're sending missiles there now. They're uh, discreetly, if you can do that, uh, a missile here, a missile there. And I say that lightly. Every missile that goes there is potential to kill somebody. But they haven't unleashed their fury. Uh, and how long can Israel just wait around? Now they're saying Iran, oh, yeah, we'll give them permission. Oh, yeah. Big machers, they're giving them permission. Yeah, Iran is in a very enviable situation. They've got these proxies, the Houthis, Hezbollah, Hamas, and they could do their bidding without them getting dirty in 100%. any way. And yet everyone knows it, and no one's doing anything about it. Nope, and that's why Israel will have to strike. That's that's the situation, is to protect its people 
uh, it's it's it probably will have to strike. That is something that actually because we are going to have a feature that we're going to put out soon. Steve had an opportunity to interview uh, Danny Kalisher. Oh, that's right. And Menno Kalisher um, uh, just before a staff chapel that we had. And Danny had just returned from Gaza. Um, and when's that coming out, Chris? That should hopefully be out next week or so. So sometime very soon. And uh, you'll be able to listen to it. It'll be a little special feature for the Jew and Gentile podcast. Um, but uh, A bonus. A bonus. So your paid subscription, you get a extra. Oh, wait a minute. We're not a paid nope, subscription. we're free. We're free, 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 free. That's right. Such a deal. Such a, Such deal. a deal. Hey, listen, we're about to tell a, uh, a story. So I'm going to put the music on in the background. The Yiddish word. This is more of a Yiddish story. A it Yiddish is a story Yiddish story of this the day. Was, this was sent to me by Elizabeth, who uh, had this article. So you get this in the mail. I got this in the mail. Uh, it originally appeared in the New York Jewish Week. Uh, JTA Global News Source. And what it is, Chris, it's titled Gospel. Oi, Gavalt. Oh, my goodness. That's Oi, Gavalt. And it says uh, a production of the new Yiddish uh, rep, a New York based theater company dedicated to the preservation of Yiddish language theater. They are doing a a production, the gospel according to Chaim. I want to see this. The gospel according to Chaim was also the first full-length Yiddish play by Mikhail Yashinsky, a 33-year-old New Yorker who made a name for himself as a Yiddish writer, actor, teacher, and translator. Chris, it's the story of Eisenbruch, who died in 1977, but came, got saved, came to know Christ as a savior. His language, his language in Eastern Europe was Yiddish. That's amazing. He And he, he starts a ministry to the Jewish people in Baltimore. And this Jewish guy, because it's Yiddish, he turned it into a play. And doesn't he interpret, doesn't he translate the New Testament into, into Yiddish? Yiddish? Oh yeah, you could get the New Testament. Because of this man. Because of this man. And now and, they made a play about and him. And they made a play about him. Aye, aye, aye. And that just shows you, he said in some places, uh, uh, let's see. Do you, should I go to the highball while you look around? Uh, it says, many Jews view efforts to encourage Jews to embrace Christianity as offensive, even anti-Semitic, with Jews for Jesus and other contemporary messianic movements drawing particular scorn. But Yashinsky said he felt none of that emotion while striving to bring Eisenbruch to life. I wasn't interested in just portraying him as a villain and having the play be a piece of propaganda against missionaries, he said. I really tried to understand why he was doing it. I don't think Eisenbruch felt he was being uh, malevolent in anything he did. That's amazing. He and looked at his character he, instead of he, just throwing he, him under he the said, bus. This is what he believed. We, he's a Yiddish speaker. I gavalt. Zyga, the gospel. Zygazun. You Zygazun. do you. Live and be well. <laughs> and we say, I gavalt. That's right. Yiddish word of the day. I gospel. Hey, could we I put this gavalt. in our show notes? Oh, I think I don't, we have to find it online. We have to find it. That's right. Okay. And so, hey, listen, you know what's funny is that somebody mailed, hey, they mailed this they to us. Mail, Elizabeth, what? look at the bottom. Uh, Elizabeth says, said, thought you might be interested in this article about Heim. Okay. So, listen, if you have something you'd like to mail us, okay? Oh, yeah. We'll take you anything. You can mail us at. Who knows? It might get on our podcast. You can mail us. With the award-winning, none aye, other aye, aye. than the Gentile, 
Chris Cattol. You can you can mail us at the Jew and Gentile P.O. Box 908, Belmar, New Jersey 08099. Again, hey, that, we've never said that before. That's what I'm saying. And that's why I'm getting it out right oh, now. You're getting it out there. The Jew and Gentile P.O. Box 908, Belmar, New Jersey 08099. Uh, Oy Oy hey, everybody. Thanks so much for being a part of the Jew and Gentile podcast. Boy, we had a great show. Uh, be sure to check out our upcoming bonus material with Steve's interview with Menno and Danny Kalisher in Israel, pastors in Israel. Uh, you want to be sure to go and uh, look out for that information that's coming. Also, be sure to go to foiequip.org and there you can register for Dr. Randall Price's upcoming class, Digging for Truth, uh, all about the reliability of the Bible through archaeology. It's going to be a fantastic look. He's got 180 slides, people. There's only 90 minutes. Bada bing, bada boom. We'll see you next week.